0: Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth. Brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors.
1: Hello, and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. It wasn't very long ago that venture capital was so free-flowing. It could make one think that any entrepreneur with a half-decent idea could raise an initial round of financing. Those halcyon days are clearly now past us, with economic trends such as inflation, recession fears, and rising interest rates having ushered in a radically different funding environment. VCs, angels, and other early-stage investors are much pickier about what new companies they'll support, as a renewed focus on profitability and efficiency over growth at all costs is now the order of the day. That means, of course, that the founder's job of selling their vision to prospective investors is more critical and arguably challenging than it has been for a long time. Today, we hope to shed some light on that essential process with a guest episode from the McKinsey Israel on High Tech podcast. In this pod, host Peleg DiCalo, a consultant in McKinsey's Tel Aviv office, speaks to two experts about what it takes for entrepreneurs to achieve investor pitch excellence. Carmel Yeli is the CEO of Atria, one of Israel's most successful B2B brand agencies who works with tech startups to develop their strategic narratives and brands. Louisa Rissworm is an engagement manager of McKinsey's high-tech hub in the firm's Tel Aviv office, who spends a lot of her time helping young startups shape their investor stories. The two of them go deep in a four-part framework to structure an effective investor pitch, the importance of a clear strategic narrative, and other keys to success in selling a startup vision. We hope you enjoy their conversation and return for future episodes of McKinsey on Startups.
2: Unless you have a well-articulated story, you don't have a well-articulated strategy. The story is the strategy.
0: Make sure that you can size how big the pain or how big the opportunity is in U.S. dollar. Welcome to McKinsey Israel on High Tech, featuring discussions on technology, business and management. This podcast is brought to you by McKinsey Israel Tech Hub where we help tech companies and startups realize their full potential.
3: Hi everyone, I'm Peleg Dekalo, a consultant in McKinsey Israel and the host of this podcast, McKinsey Israel on high tech. I would like to start this episode with a question to our audience what do all startups have in common? Exactly. They're all constantly on the hunt to raise money, the elixir that keeps most startups running during their early years. To find new investors, CEOs need to be able to tell the company's story in a concise yet compelling way, which is a challenging task. As Mark Twain once rightfully said, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. In this episode, I sat down with Carmelio Eli, the CEO of Atreo, one of Israel's most successful B2B brand agencies, and Luisa Rusworn, a manager from McKinsey's Israel office, who has spent most of her time helping young startups to shape their investor stories. Both of them will provide us with an actionable framework on how to effectively structure and convey your investor pitch. Now please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. We are live. Hello, Peleg. Good morning. Hi, Good morning. Hi, Luisa. Good morning. So, it's a pleasure having you both today. And let's start from a quick question. Luisa, what is your biggest no-no when it comes to a startup investor pitch?
0: That's an easy one, actually. I think the biggest no-no is when you sit five minutes into the presentation and still have no clue whatsoever <laughs> what the team is presenting to you. So, you know, not having your 30-second elevator pitch ready.
3: Carmel, take the positive side of the of the same question. What is your biggest yes, yes? Having a narrative, uh,
2: I think it, it sounds trivial, but uh, I've seen many investors that, like, just start with here are facts about this, and here are facts about that, and this is the team, and this is a business plan, and they're missing out the biggest, I think the most important part of any investor deck, any deck uh, in general, and this is a story, the story, the, what is called the strategic narrative. You know, Ben Horowitz from Andresen and Horowitz uh, is saying all the time, uh, quote which I love quoting, that unless you have a well-articulated story, you don't have a well-articulated strategy. The story is the strategy and I think it really comes across when you're talking to investors. The way you're able to present your story, the clarity, the, uh, how precise it is, how compelling it is, I think really affects you know, the level of trust, confidence and inspiration that
3: you, know, you want to create in this situation. Kind of to take a step back, look at your presentation, at your deck from a macro level and try to 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 give it in three four sentences a coherent story
2: yeah basically you know just look at it as as a different part for for the presentation four five slides that takes you through the narrative and a good narrative should include both sides of both like the qualitative uh, side the inspirational the emotional part of, of the story but also the quantitative side uh,
3: which means it is backed with facts and not just stories. A few words on your professional path, or in other words, who are you, Carmel Yoeli? All right, so uh, I
2: grew up in, in tech, in military and staff. My last role in an enterprise was in NICE systems back then. I was running the, the sales engineering for the cyber intelligence unit, and we had to tell a very compelling story in a very short time window. And it was extremely difficult and I remember back then that NICE went through a huge branding process with this fancy firm and it took more than a year. And I was really looking forward f- to, to the result because I, I said, all right, finally someone will help us tell the, the story of our super complex products. And then a year and something later, they changed the rectangle in the NICE logo from yellow to blue. And basically that was it. Impact. Impact. There's got to be more in brand building for tech, and this is long story short why I built a trail. Uh, I found out that there isn't such an agency that does that, so I did.
3: So to sum up, what a trail does? We help tech
2: B two B startups build their strategic narrative and then build a brand on top of the strategic narrative. And basically, the heart of any brand in our philosophy is the narrative, which means the story that is told, like the textual story and the story that is shown, how you bring it to life with creative, that I think in a nutshell what we do. And we do it for many tech B2B startups from Gong, uh, JFrog, uh, similar SimilarWeb, just to name a few.
3: Louisa, you are the engagement manager of our tech hub here in the Tel Aviv office. The Tech Hub, for those of you who don't know, is our platform where we leverage McKinsey's global expertise in order to help Israeli tech companies, tech startups, tech investors to thrive in the environment that they operate in. Can you tell us, of course, introduce yourself and tell us what does that mean to be the engagement manager of this?
0: Yeah, so um, with McKinsey since two thousand fifteen, and I recently transferred to to Israel with exactly that vision to build up our presence in the Israeli startup and scale-up ecosystem. Our vision is to really become the number one sparings partner for Israeli start and scale-ups, both to help shape this important part of Israel's economy and, you know, to enjoy.
3: And hopefully we will also enjoy today's interesting discussion around investor pitch excellence. Carmel. You have developed a framework to structure an effective investor pitch. Do you mind introducing it to our audience? It's made out of four parts, four different steps.
2: So it starts with the macro level, a change world. Always talk about, not about yourself, about a world that was changed. Think about global warming, all right? The, the talk was there for, I don't know, two decades. But only now, when the fire started, we started noticing, right? So, a change world. Second, that creates a problem or an opportunity. It's not always a problem, sometimes it's just an opportunity. That is a result of this change world. Then, third, solved with a new approach. And then end with, that is changing the world. How your approach is going to change the world. By the way, it's the most relevant part for investors, at least in our point of view. Like, le- Let's give you a like couple of examples for the full four stages. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's take JFrog one of our clients. So a change world we're talking about. Software is eating the world and any company is a software company today. Their uh, CEO told us once that the fight between Domino's and Pizza Hut today is not who has a better pizza, is who has better app. Uh, nobody cares about
3: the pizza, which is very true in a sense.
2: Yeah, you can't argue with that, right? It's almost a cliche to, to say today that software is eating the world. So that is the change world. How it creates a problem for, for companies. A software is only as good as it's updated. You have to keep releasing software all the time to all the different devices. You know, you have iPhone, I have Android, and you know, there's endless versions. And it becomes like a pain to release software, pain for organization and pain for the actual developers problem. Solved with a new approach, continuous software uh, release. That's their new category, the new category that JFrog is uh, creating, and it allows you to release software fast. Tagline, release fast or die approach. Vision, imagine there's no version. Like, they're imagining a world where, like, software is liquid. The updates flow through the pipes of the internet so seamlessly. So there's no version in in your phone, for example. There's always the latest version.
3: Hence, imagine there's no version. An example from... It's beautiful. It is. I'm co-investing in whatever you're presenting to us, for sure. JFrog is fine.
2: Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Definitely don't need me. But this kind of framework works,
2: I think, for almost... Every compelling narrative that, that we, we know, take Salesforce, uh, change world, enterprise software is getting bigger and bigger, like a huge, tremendous scale that creates a problem. It becomes like too big to maintain and too expensive to buy. It becomes like this huge headache. A new approach, SaaS, think about it. They didn't invent CRM, but it was the approach of providing software as a service which later on becomes us vision the end of software
0: and what i really would recommend our listeners to do if they are struggling with their strategic narrative really just write this out it may seem like a school kid exercise but it's very very powerful just write out the four dimensions and what's your story And by the way, that can then also be your elevator pitch, right? If you're meeting someone in the elevator and really just have thirty seconds to convey what you're doing, tell them these like your strategic narrative along those four pillars.
3: I think it's a responsibility of each and every CEO to have his investor pitch memorized, like really memorized. It's thirty to forty seconds. It takes long, long time and a lot of iterations. Till you get that investor pitch. But once you have it, have it memorized, write it down. I'm a true believer in that practice. Um, now, following the four stages, a changed world that creates a new opportunity or problem, which is solved with a new approach that is changing the world, there is also a fifth chapter. Louisa, what is the fifth chapter all about?
0: Yeah, I think the fifth stage really is all about how will you achieve that strategic narrative that you've outlined in the first four chapters. So how will you get to reach your goal? I think in the essence, right, the first four chapters are really there to hook the interest of the audience, to really appeal to their emotional side and to get them interested in your what you want to tell them. And the fifth chapter really outlines your competencies that you know, prove that you will actually achieve your great vision.
3: Thank you both for this great overview of our five little pitch document chapters. What I would like to do now is to go one level deeper into each one of those five chapters and get your sense on which kind of messages and slides a good pitch deck should contain. First part is, is the changed world and, and the reason for that,
2: A, it's more objective. It's not a story about you. It's a story about a world that was changed and you happen to be there. Second, it's put your audience in a more like acceptive mode. They have to agree to that. It's something that you can't object to. And it's also important because the first part should basically answer the why now question. Uh, Investors specifically uh, is an audience that is very FOMO driven. Like you need in a way to generate the feeling that there is a train that is already going and you need to hop on the train. And this is the purpose of the first part. The world has changed. Do something.
0: And maybe just adding to that, let others talk in that chapter. What I mean by that is don't make this chapter about your opinion, but make it about what others have to say about the trend.
2: Yeah, exactly. it's not about you. It's about the world, the specific not just the entire world, but the specific world of of your buyer, something that one hundred percent of the audience will agree to, something you can't argue with, and it is backed up with facts,
0: yeah, so then I think that floats really nicely into the the second chapter, which creates a new opportunity slash problem, as Carmel mentioned. I think in the first chapter or in the first page when you talk about the world you have hooked your investor they believe that trend they see that trend and now you just outline like how does it create a new opportunity or or problem for the world if you're describing a problem then make sure you're also appealing to the emotional side of the cake a lot of pictures I've seen are very good in, you know, quantifying the problem, but it's always easier, you know, if people can actually relate to the problem you're solving. And then of course for problem or opportunity presentation, you always need to size the price. So make sure that you can size how big the pain or how big the opportunity is in US dollar. For example, what I always really like is if you can show the system costs for a problem you're presenting, how much money is spent on this problem right now throughout the entire value chain.
2: I would add to that that I think the purpose of the second part, the problem or opportunity is why, if the first part is why now for the entire world, the second part is why now for your buyer? What's the imminent pain today or what's the, the opportunity? And once again, it's, I think, important to distinguish between problem and opportunity. It's not always problem.
3: And now our third stage, Louisa, this new problem is solved, or as Carmel just said, this new opportunity is being seized by using a new approach. So how should we show our new approach?
0: Yeah, this is an important chapter, obviously. So by now you have established the problem and what new opportunity it has created in the market for you. And you have kind of captured the excitement of the investor. So he is really hooked at the stage. And the third chapter now is all about introducing your new solution or product you're selling. So just a couple of thoughts on how to do that effectively. I think the first important advice I would give is go visual In this chapter so you know how you say a picture describes more than a thousand words and I think that's really true please also make sure that everyone at this stage really understands your product so just imagine you're talking to an 18 year old person when explaining don't use any fancy language just assume the investors don't know much about the technology you're using so I mean don't pretend they're stupid people right but just make sure people can understand Also, one important advice I see a lot of people not adhering to is talk business. So, what I mean by that is don't focus on the technology itself, but focus on what you can actually do with the technology. A lot of CEOs who are, you know, coming from the tech space, they get really lost and passionate in explaining their technology, and investors, I mean, they care what you do with it, right?
3: Show benefits and not. Teachers.
0: yes then I think one obvious but still important point is quantify the value of your solution so you could go back to the system costs that I've mentioned earlier and now you can show how much of these system costs can you save with your new solution that's a really elegant way I think and then of course what every CEO nowadays is, you know, getting headaches over is the big question of the TAM, the total addressable market. That also belongs into this chapter. And maybe just a couple of thoughts on that. I think the total addressable market, it's more than a number, right? In the end, it's really your strategy because in order to come up with your TAM, you ha- need to have decided what markets are you entering, what's the pricing of your product. So there's a lot of underlying questions and you know, you need to really spend time on on coming up with a good number. I personally hate pictures that come up with this one hundred billion tum that is like super high level. It's just not credible. So would advise against that and to really, you know, have to see or to spend a couple of weeks thinking really, really hard about that that tum question because it will raise a, a whole new level of uh, different underlying and um, strategic questions. And then lastly, also. Of course, if you're introducing a product, investors will always ask what's already out there in the market. So what's the competitive landscape like? And here, I mean, we've all seen these like crazily packed pages with like Harvey Balls or like tick marks that compare your product against the 500 competitors in the field. Please, please make this chart simple and really focus on comparing your technology To competitors along the key success factors, so don't do a random comparison of twenty features, but really take three steps back and think, what does it take for me to become market leaders? So to succeed in the market, and along those five criteria, you compare yourself and your capabilities against your competition.
3: A more high-level criteria that touch what we talked about: the benefits, be it like speed quality, those kind of things that are true levers of success.
0: Exactly. True levers of success. I think that's a good description.
3: I'll add to that. First of all, this
2: is by far the most important part because this part is, is about you. But the trick is not making it about you also. It's making it about the, your approach. You should never start it with, all right, introducing my amazing company. You know, just do introducing... Our approach. There's a huge difference between saying introducing gong or introducing revenue intelligence. Once again it makes it more objective, it makes it more more believable. Now our philosophy about it is that basically in tech you should always sell an approach not like a benefit or like old world like positioning like you know Volvo is taking safe and, and Toyota is taking reliable I'm taking speed, they're taking quality. No, it's a completely different approach. It's a different type of positioning. In this type of positioning, what you want to do is you want to frame all the competition. And sometimes the competition is not direct competitors, by the way. You want to frame them under one category, and then you want to frame yourself under a different category, like a different approach. Like, you know, Apple didn't have to attack Nokia. They just had to frame everyone as not smartphone, which means dumb phone, right? So, so that is basically the move that, that you want to do.
3: Our fourth stage, Carmel, our startup will change the world. How should this be conveyed?
2: How are we changing the world? Yes, so the part is really like the grand why, if you think about Simon Sinek's framework or the purpose or, or the vision and it's really how you imagine the world when you're done when your work is done and this is perhaps the most important part in the investor pitch because investors in most cases care about that they don't even care about you know your specific approach or how you frame the problem they want to be part of a world changing event even on the emotional and, and personal level they want to be part of a big story or at least their friends that they are taking part of of a big story. So what I mean by by big story, take the last employer brand campaign that we created together with Overwolf and Shacher Sorek, their CMO. We didn't talk about the fact that they are building like API for gaming. We talked about the fact that they are free in game creation and they allow anyone with basic coding ability to build in-game apps and mods and to become basically a game creator, like the huge gaming studios that that you know. This is a world-changing event.
3: Our fifth stage and a very interesting one, how will we get there?
0: yeah that's an important question that every investor will ask right if you stop after the strategic narrative after those four chapters that we've outlined now they will ask you okay that's a nice vision that's a nice story but like what entitles you to actually get there so I think by now you know you've really hooked the investor you have shown him that there is a market for your solution that you're offering and you also have shown him what your great product or solution is and this Chapter then is around convincing the investor that you or your team really has what it takes to make this uh, vision fly. So, I mean, a couple of super tactical points to include in this chapter. First is your business model. Answer the question on how you're going to earn money. Make this easy and make this the first page of this chapter so investors understand how you will earn money. Then derive from that the top line. Of course, what's your revenue forecast for the next three to five years? Very important question to answer. My advice for early stage investors is focus on the top line. Investors until Series A, you know, they will have their own assumptions to get to the bottom line. So none of your concern at this point. And really make sure that, you know, your revenue is supported by concrete initiatives. Then once you've shown them how you earn money and derived your revenues, revenue forecast from that, talk about your go-to-market strategy. So what are the partnerships you have in mind? What channels are you going to use? What geographies are you going to focus on? Then, of course, the team page. Not going to lose a lot of words on it because everyone has their team page, I think, at this stage covered. Just one advice I'm really just interested in the relevant aspects of curricular retail that respond to the job you're doing at the startup. So be precise.
3: And according to the smile, it's, it looks like you have seen CVs on that page.
0: Of course. Yes, long CVs, font size eight, and nobody. We we'll read them and they also signal to investors that you are not really sure what capabilities are actually required to to really fulfill your role. And then the last page, just outline your ask. How much money are you raising? Why are you raising that amount of money? A lot of people haven't that figured out and they just, you know, see what they can get. I don't think that's a good strategy. It would signal to me that you're not clear on what the next big steps or milestones for you are. And also, don't forget to to leave your contact details on the last page. Just, you know, making sure that you're not losing investors because they don't have your WhatsApp number. Um, So make sure to include that.
3: Any
2: closing thoughts? At the end, there's this, you know, test that we call the cafeteria test. At the end, when the investor, you know, finishes the meeting with you. She or he is going to the cafeteria and talk to their friend and tell them, Oh, I met this company, they are doing what? So, investors don't want to invest in, you know, oh, they're doing a platform for something. No, I invested in the company that and software updates, free in game creation. As opposed, I don't know, they're doing a tool for cloud security something. This is exactly the difference between, you know, talking about your tool and talking about your vision, I think. And I think two points that are worthwhile talking about. First of all, yeah, be concise. The quote that I like in this regard is Mark Twain's Sorry that I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. It takes time to make things concise. But unless you are able to explain it in each of these four parts, in one or two sentences, you don't understand it well enough. It's not well articulated enough. It's really a test, right, to write it down in this framework and sum it sum everything up to, to one sentence. But the other thing that you said is also important, and this is the role of the CEO. In one of the workshops that we did with McKinsey, I think the first one, one of the investors said, if the CEO don't deliver the pitch in a good way, so let other one deliver the pitch for him. I don't believe in that. I think that today, more than ever, the role of the CEO is to be the leader, the guardian of the narrative. He needs or she needs to be the first one and the last one that guards the narrative, that tells it to the world, to employees, to investors, to anyone else. And also guard it because a lot of hijackers will try to change it when time goes by. Your investor will try to tell you, maybe talk about this. CMO will tell you, let's change this, but you really have to guard it because... What makes it stick eventually is consistency.
3: Yes, Louisa.
0: Yeah, I think a bit more tactical now if you drafted your 15-page stack, 10, 15-page stack, like just go through it and make sure your 18-year-old self could understand what you're writing on these pages. Does an outsider understand these pages? The teenage check, I call it. Then also super tactical, but not followed a lot of times. Just do one message per slide. Don't overload slides. And really, I mean, in your investor pitch, there shouldn't be more than 15 important messages. So, and again, right, addressing what Carmel said earlier, it takes time to really condense. So often in the first stage, when you draft your deck, you will have small font size, a lot of facts. And then with each iteration, you need to...
3: Clean up the message.
0: Exactly. Clean the deck up, make it even easier make it even more compelling so in the end you know you have sharp messaging on each of the slides
3: guys it was great having you here thank you so much
0: so i'm so excited now i want to i want to write a pitch deck
3: let's do it we have carmel here so he'll bring the emotional side that we probably don't have
0: i thought i was pretty emotional Yeah, me too me
3: too thank thank you
0: thank you thank you for listening to mckinsey israel on high tech Subscribe to our podcast and feel free to contact us at israelpodcast at to share your thoughts, comments, and suggestions. This has been McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening.